Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to a bonus episode in collaboration with the MR Linac Consortium. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Namanjal Anderson. Hi everyone. So we're really excited to share this collaboration to showcase patient experience, clinical practice and research around the MR Linac. So I'm really pleased to introduce our guests, Bethany Williams and Becca Laws, who will be discussing their careers and introducing this series. So welcome, both of you. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us so early in the morning so for anyone who is listening it's currently eight o'clock in the morning before work starts uh they just thought they'd nip on and do a quick podcast episode before the patients arrive (laughs) so thank you so much for giving up your time um so i'm going to start with you bethany can you introduce yourself please and just give us a little bit of background about your career pathway to date of course. So hello um, and thank you for having us on the Rad Chat podcast. I'm Bethany Williams. I'm a senior MLNIC therapeutic radiographer. I started my career at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust and moved to Sydney, Australia in about 2019. I worked there for three years and was very fortunate to be first trained on the Elect Unity MLNAC over there. In 2022, I returned to the UK and now work on the Unity full-time at the Royal Marsden Sutton. And I also work alongside Professor Helen McNair under National Institute of Health and Care Research Grant. And we focus on the role of therapeutic radiographers in adaptive radiotherapy and also the methods of improving the adaptive radiotherapy workflow. What made you want to be a therapeutic radiographer? <laughs> I uh, I knew I wanted to do something science-based uh, and I was fortunate enough, uh, fortunate enough for me, my mum is a careers advisor and through her I came through therapeutic radiography and I was really intrigued uh, by a healthcare profession that I hadn't really heard of before. I did a bit of research and uh, thought it was a really good balance between physics, science, and also patient care and providing a service within uh, cancer treatment. I also like the idea that we don't just see a patient sort of once, we get to build a rapport with them over their treatment course. And that was something that was important to me. Becca, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, I'm Rebecca Laws. I'm also a senior MR Linac therapeutic radiographer. I did a master's in radiotherapy and oncology at the University of the West of England in Bristol. After qualifying, I started working at the Royal Marsden Foundation Trust Hospital in Sutton, February 2015. I worked on the C-arm Linax and then in pretreatment before moving to the MR Linac in October 2018, just as the first patient was being treated. So I've been working on the Royal Marsden's MR Linac since it's been clinical. Um, I was also very interested in research from the beginning, so contacted Helen McNair when I first started working here, who kindly supported my involvement in various projects. So can you tell us a little bit about what made you want to be a therapeutic radiographer? And if you can, can you just tell us a little bit about the MSC route? Because it's something that doesn't necessarily get advertised a lot. Yes, of course. Um, So I did a biology undergraduate degree in Bath, and I got a part-time job at the Royal United Hospital there. Um, I was ward clerking, and then I did get put on put on oncology reception and did some oncology medical secretary work before then going on the radiotherapy uh, reception. So that's how I found out about radiotherapy. I had no idea about it before. Um, I loved working in the hospital environment and the the therapeutic radiographers seemed really happy in their work. Um, So I looked into a bit more about what they did and it seemed 
also the perfect mix of biology, physics for me, um, and patient care. Um, so I looked into courses. Bristol was the nearest centre. I actually applied to their undergraduate BSc, but then Spencer Goodman, who now works for the Society of Radiographers, was leading the MSc, and he contacted me, contacted me and said, oh, I already see you have a related degree. Would you be interested in doing it as a master's? I was like, of course, why not? <laughs> Let's go for it. Um, it was a little bit confusing at first, um, especially on our placements, because, because we were pre-qualified. So we still came in brand new, no inf- information about treating, but just the academic side were expected to do um, at MSc level. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Felt like I was finding my vocation and also progressing academically as well. I love that you've both name dropped some pretty big names in radiotherapy already. <laughs> I'm loving it. Are they paying you? <laughs> yeah. I, I did the two year master's like accelerated route as well. It was hardcore, but I loved it. I mean, you get into the profession quicker. How do you feel, Becca, about the term mature student? Oh, <laughs> um, at the time I didn't feel that mature because I did it straight after my undergrad um, and there were I think most other students on my course there were eight of us were older anyway um, yeah it comes with more expectations I think I then when I qualified I then had more expectations to be straight into research and, and doing more like that and it was obviously like no take a step back you have to get you know good clinically at a band five do the work um, So Bethany, how is the MR LINAC different to a conventional LINAC uh, and what's the effect on kind of the tumour area compared to the normal tissue? Sure. So hopefully your listeners might have caught RadChat's previous episodes by Dr. Alison Tree and Cameron Bailey on the ElectiUnity MR LINAC and the MR LINAC Consortium. If not, to recap, the MR LINAC combines two technologies, a Philips 1.5 Tesla MRI scanner and an Elector linear accelerator. So instead of using a form of CT imaging, which is typically used in current practice to guide accurate radiotherapy, we use MRI, and this is a really new and innovative technology. MRI imaging has better soft tissue contrast than CT, so what we are able to see, or we are able to see the area we want to treat more clearly and therefore locate the tumour more precisely. The MRLNEC also provides the opportunity for daily adaptive treatment planning. Conventionally in radiotherapy, we deliver the same treatment plan at every treatment. And again, using a form of medical imaging to guide accurate treatment. However, on the MR LINAC, we can tailor these treatment plans at each treatment to account for any changes in anatomy and optimize our treatment to ensure we're delivering the dose we want to deliver, our prescribed dose to the area we want to treat, the tumor, while minimizing dose to organs around the area, which we would call organs at risk, or normal healthy tissue. We can also watch the tumour during treatment to ensure that we have accurate treatment delivery in real time. And this means we can make sure our patient doesn't move or we don't have any changes in internal anatomy like bladder filling that could impact treatment. And it's really these sort of advances in adaptive radiotherapy that enable developments in hyperfractionation, dose escalation, and potentially the future of reducing target margins uh, so this, that's a brief overview, and these are all developments that hopefully we'll get the t- time to touch on in this episode and, and talk about a bit more. How many patients a day do you treat? 
So at the moment, we have uh, eight to 10, a capacity for eight to 10 patients a day. Typically, uh, treatments are a bit longer than you would get on a, a normal linear accelerator sort of in standardized treatment across the UK, which would probably be about 10 to 20 minutes. Uh, our treatments do can take up to an hour, our shortest being around 20 minutes, uh, just to give you sort of a perspective of uh, times and, and how many patients we can treat a day. And is dose and fractionation similar to conventional radiotherapy or, or are we looking to adjust things because of the fact you've got increased accuracy and reproducibility? Yeah, so firstly, we do treat a lot of what might be considered as gold standard prescriptions, for example, 60 gray in 20 fraction daily regimes to the prostate or stereotactic prostate treatments at 36.25 gray in five fractions. And another example for another treatment site would be 55 gray in 20 fractions to the bladder. But otherwise, yes, you're right. The improved soft tissue definition of MRI and the ability to do daily adaptive treatment planning means we can deliver dose and fractionations that are stereotactic, hypofractionated, and or demonstrate dose escalation to the tumor itself. So, for example, under the Hermes trial, one trial arm reduced the number of treatments to just two treatments over eight days, and that's with a 24 grey in two fraction prescription uh, with a 27 grey boost to the gross tumour volume. And this would be an example of what we would call ultra hyperfractionation. And this is a very exciting development as conventionally patients receiving prostate treatment may be prescribed up to 39 treatments. And that's seven weeks of treatment versus two treatments over two weeks. And the benefit, of course, being less treatments for patients, less hospital visits for patients with the same outcome as a longer treatment course. There's also destination, and that's a bit different as well. So that's involving de-escalation of dose to the non-tumor containing prostate, so the rest of the prostate, and that's uh, prescribed 30 gray, with a boost to the tumor of 45 gray in five fractions. And there's three participating MRNAC consortium sites collaborating in this one, uh, including ourselves, Sunnybrook Hospital, and the Netherlands Cancer, Cancer Institute. There are also prescriptions that demonstrate developments in dose escalation. For example, tumour-focused bladder treatments. Conventionally, large population margins are applied to the whole bladder in bladder radiotherapy. Tumour-focused bladder treatment has the potential to further reduce normal tissue irradiation without adversely impacting on local disease control. This was recently investigated here in the RADAR trial using a library of three different plans that could be selected based on the patient's daily anatomy, ensuring optimal coverage. The MR-LINAC version of this solution is to deliver a high-dose tumour boost with improved tumour visualisation from MRI and the ability to fully adapt treatment plans. This entails prescribing 55 grey to the gross tumour volume and 46 grey to the rest of the bladder in 20 fractions. We also treat pancreatic tumours with stereotactic radiotherapy on the MRLINAC. We deliver a single phase plan of 33 to 40 grey in five fractions on alternate days. On the MRI, we are able to visualise the pancreas and surrounding structures more clearly than on CT. The pancreas sits next to the duodenum, part of your bowel, 
which is mobile and radiosensitive. So using the MRL allows us to re-optimise the treatment plan depending on interfractional changes in this type of anatomy, aiming to minimise toxicity. Becca, you know how in conventional radiotherapy we always say to patients the treatment's only a few minutes long, it's to set you up that takes time. Is that still applicable here? Or does the treatment take longer? Like the actual delivering of the, the dose? As Bethany has said, our uh, appointment times are longer, but the setting the patient up is actually really similar. It's just our MR imaging that takes longer than the CT imaging that's often taken on the standard Linux in the rest of the department. We also have the additional process of re-optimising the treatment plan to adapt for any daily anatomical changes. So that takes uh, that extra time too. Yeah, and the Elector Unity currently delivers treatment via intensity modulated radiotherapy technique, which we call IMRT, rather than volumetric modulated radiotherapy, which again we would call VMAT. So rather than the treatment machine delivering treatment in an arc as it rotates, treatment is delivered via individual beams. And this means treatment delivery can be ever so slightly longer. And also, as discussed, we are delivering more hypofractionated treatments with a higher dose per fraction, meaning a slightly longer treatment delivery, but of course, less treatments overall for the patient. So overall treatment delivery itself, I'd say it's between three to eight minutes. And have you got used to seeing so many monitor units on the screen? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, then when we get a... Um, yeah, fewer margin. Sometimes you're like, oh, that was, that was quick. <laughs> How have you found the patients are experiencing it? Obviously, they won't necessarily know any difference. Um, but I just imagine, you know, you do get some patients who are anxious with conventional radiotherapy. If you get a patient who's claustrophobic, um, then obviously they're going to have increased levels of anxiety and the support that we have to offer them is increased as a therapeutic radiographer. But obviously with extended treatment times, how are you finding they're coping? They actually tolerate really well, don't they? We have um, some patients that can come and do a, a visit beforehand. I think a, a lot of people just think, oh, I'm claustrophobic, I won't manage. But actually our aura is quite open, the room's really light, um, often if we're treating the pelvis or abdomen, patients' heads are sort of near the end and can look at, people can look out anyway. Um, yeah, I think we have time on here to sort of help patients through it if they are feeling a bit more anxious. Um, in terms of kind of your training, have you had to have a lot of additional training to be able to use the MR Linux? And how different is it um, just in terms of its use? Not necessarily, I understand, in terms of preparing for the treatment and looking at the planning, deciding on what plan you're going to use for that day and things will obviously be very different. But what about the actual treatment delivery? How different is that? Yeah, it is, it is quite different. I mean, the, the training for the MR Linac is quite extensive um, and there are sort of multiple areas um, that we can talk about on that. Um, it's a very new and innovative technology um, and a lot of our initial training was done by Electa and Philip, so the vendors related to the equipment we use. Um, I think the biggest thing 
for therapeutic radiographers is typically as a profession, we're not trained in MRI. Um, so besides may, maybe the basics at university, uh, MRI is imaging is extremely complex. And to be honest, I, even I wasn't really aware of the complexities of MR physics prior to my training on the MR Linac. Uh, so the team undertook various courses and MRI related courses. Um, but I'd say our most valuable step was working with diagnostic radiographers uh, to train the team in this complex and again, very physics heavy imaging modality to develop our competence and knowledge on MR imaging, not just MR imaging, but also MR safety. Uh, yeah, there's lots and lots of courses out there um, for that. And there's also a great resource, um, an open website called mrisafety.com, which we use quite a lot. Um, it tells you about implanted devices which are safe, which are safe under certain conditions, um, under different strengths of magnet um, or are unsafe. So that's a great one to, to look at. Um, we've also done anatomy, MRI anatomy courses, because we're so used to looking at the CT images. That was really good to get our eye in on different structures. Um, and there's a course called MRI in practice, which is more about the imaging sequences um, yeah, and the physics behind the MR imaging. Yeah, but I think sort of going back to um, how treatment is different, uh, it's I think it's really it's a good opportunity really to to recognise that the requirements and the demands of the oncology service are changing, uh, and the profession of therapeutic radiographers almost needs to respond in in uh, to advance. Um, in response to these advanced techniques, uh, such as online adaptive MR guided radiotherapy. Uh, in fact, our colleague Elizabeth Joyce, and mentioning again, Professor Helen McNair, uh, recently conducted a training needs analysis on this and highlighted the, one of the highest priority needs uh, being uh, radiotherapy planning and dosimetry. So again, in adaptive radiotherapy, we have the ability to adapt our radiotherapy plans to a patient's daily position and account for differences in anatomy, uh, making sure that we're getting, we're getting that prescribed dose to where we want to treat and minimizing dose to those surrounding organs. And this means there's an even greater need for therapeutic radiographers to have a more in-depth understanding of dosimetry and treatment planning for us to take responsibility for those clinical judgments in our, in our workflows. What's the uptake from oncologists been like for the contouring side of things? So, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk a bit about radiographer contouring. So typically the workflow uh, for uh, the MR Linac is um, we have quite a lot of a lot of staff there, really. So we have typically a conventional online workflow on the MR Linac would include a clinician, two radiographers and a physicist. And our clinician is there because we take a image and again, we're gonna look at that image and the clinician is gonna delineate the tumor. So for example, that might be the prostate, it might be a tumor within the pancreas. And then they're also gonna delineate again, those organs around the area that we want to minimize dose to. And this allows us to tell the computer system, you know, we want to re-optimize this treatment plan to make sure we're meeting those goals. This of, they're also there to approve our treatment plans. So of course, this is a very resource intensive approach. Um, so in order to try and reduce that staffing and, and reduce the resource intensity, uh, radiographers are beginning to take over the role of target volume delineation on this, 
in our online workflows. Um, and so back in 2021, again, uh, under Professor Helen McNair's grant uh, by the National Institute of Health and Care Research Grant, um, our, uh, and also in, in combination with a radiographer called Gillian Smith, uh, they implemented uh, radiographer contouring for prostate patients. And what this means is now that when a, a prostate patient comes for treatment, a, a radiographer will take on that role of delineating the prostate for treatment. And there was lots of work that went into this. Um, and we've proved that radiographers uh, work in contouring is equivalent to that of uh, clinicians. Yes, so it's something we're very proud of. Um, and again, it really goes back to extending our scope of practice uh, and working towards increasing the role of the therapeutic radiographer in this sort of new world of adaptive radiotherapy. Uh, and it was so successful that not only are we doing, uh, so patients will come for 20 treatments, but we are also doing our stereotactic treatments as well. So when patients come for just five treatments, uh, and we're also extending this practice to bladder and oligometastases. Um, so, yeah. I think just to answer it slightly differently as well, mm. with the, the radiation oncolo oncologists, mm. we've had different people that have been really keen on the MLNAC, are really heavy referrers of patients to us. Um, sometimes we go through a bit of cycles, don't we? If we have a clinical fellow that's really keen and interested and we've worked, we've made workflows to treat that body site, we get a lot of referrals. Um, in, a, in one go, don't we, it seems to be. Yeah. I think generally clinicians are, are favourable because it means that they don't have to spend a uh, 45 minutes to an hour with us on the machine. Um, and again, of course, that impacts sort of cost effectiveness and, and resource intensity. I ask, what's been the main challenge that you've faced? Because you know, by the sounds of it, it sounds idyllic. You know, you have nice patient numbers, you are enjoying the scope of practice. I'm sure it hasn't been all smooth sailing. Have there been any challenges or barriers to implementation? I think the biggest challenge currently, perhaps, is again, we, we talked about how we can, uh, with our capacity is about eight to 10 patients. Uh, and with an aging population and our cancer system, statistics that uh, one in two people would develop cancer uh, and about 50% of these may need radiotherapy uh, only being able to treat sort of eight to ten patients in a day uh, does does sort of restrict that and, and we want to be able to meet the demands of the future oncology service so one of our challenges is in reducing that treatment time so for example our treatment to our uh, bladder patients has been reduced to about 30 minutes uh, and of course, again, looking at staffing and how we can improve uh, the sort of cost consequence of the machine. And um, I guess, again, we come back to training uh, with therapeutic radiographers. Again, we don't have typically the workforce doesn't have much experience in MRI. Um, and this has implications not only for um, the training that we need to implement, but also uh, we need to think really seriously about MR safety, which is, of course, a massive part of implementing MRI in a department that isn't used to having an MRI um, machine. So that's something that I think is 
probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for implementation as well. Yes, MR safety is something that we have to consider daily. If you're listening and you've had an MRI before, you will have been asked lots of MR screening questions prior to your scan to ensure you are safe to have an MRI. Some patients may have contraindications to MRI, for example, aneurysm clips or certain, a certain type of ureteric stent. It's our role to investigate the safety of any implanted devices and ensure that anyone entering the scanning room, even a visitor, is safe to be within the magnetic field. Yeah, so maybe a bit more kind of preparation is required for that, for that to actually go ahead and, and be a, a reasonable treatment modality. Um, I will fly the flag for HEIs because I know curriculum is changing massively in terms of like demand for imaging. Um, so I know I do a lot of anatomy and physiology now more than I ever used to and MRI features much more heavily. Um, MR safety, I think, could be a degree on its own. Um, so actually, probably that that might be an area that needs to increase, but I suppose it's getting it right, isn't it? If not everyone is going to have access to an MR LINAC, um, you know, are you overtraining someone who may never get the opportunity to work with that piece of kit? Um, in terms of kind of expectations, have you found that, you know, from a conventional radiotherapy perspective, you've got staff who are chomping at the bit to come and work on the MR LINAC. And do people get the opportunity to rotate through? Or are you finding that the training needs are stopping that from, from happening? Uh, not necessarily. We do have a, a rotational post uh, at the Royal Marsden. Um, so we do have uh, people come come through, get their training and uh, sort of get that experience. Um, but again, with the training needs, it does take uh, quite a long time really to build up that experience. And we do need to ensure that we have the experienced staff who are beyond competent really to to um, lead and, and run the machine to ensure that again, we have um, the experience there not only for treatment, but again for MR safety. Um, and there, there is sort of uh, rules and, and regulations around MR safety. So we have different levels of staff. So again, it comes down to ensuring that we've got the correct people with the right skills um, here on the machine. Do students get to rotate on the MR LINAC? Uh, we currently don't do full placements, um, but we definitely do invite students to come and see the and observe the MR LINAC. We can often do um, dummy runs as well, workflows that then is a bit more relaxed. Yeah. They can ask questions a bit more easily than if we were treating a patient. And elective placements is the, is the other opportunity. <laughs> Becca, I've got a difficult question to ask, which you might not want to answer. Um, obviously, we talked about how there's only two machines in the UK and it's a safe, like, it's a better form of treatment. If there's any patients listening, they're probably wondering why aren't we trying to not maybe work 24 7 because we can't work through the night, but try and increase that capacity across the UK. The way I was going to answer that question at first was about that not every patient is suitable for treatment on the MLNAC. So the C arm. Linux are still very important and they can treat a much wider range of cancers with radiotherapy. 
I think it's also important to mention that while, yes, we are one of two Elector Unity sites in the UK, there are other MRLINAC units that are clinical across the country. As an enthusiastic MRLINAC team, we would love to see more centres join the MRLINAC consortium. Ultimately, the Unity and the MRLINAC in general is relatively new, innovative and developing technology, and we hope to see new sites implemented over the coming years and see the network expand. It's also about evidence-based practice. The further we advance into the MRLINAC development programme and the more we can demonstrate feasibility of techniques for different treatment sites, clinical effectiveness and essentially aim to increase patient access across the country. Thank you. That was a very, very politically correct answer. I would also add that we just need more investment, don't we? We need the government to realise that actually radiotherapy can feature so heavily in cancer treatment um, and it isn't being utilised as much as it needs to be. And we need investment in the workforce, the equipment, the software. We need more money, as I always bleat on about. So can you tell us a little bit about the MR Consortium and the impact that that's had on, on you being able to implement this as a treatment modality? So the MR Consortium um, has been, I think, is key uh, for using the MR Linac Unity uh, to the best that we can. Um, so as we've said before, there's us and the Christie um, in the UK and then on a greater scale, um, internationally, the consortium links us with many other sites that also have the Elector MRLINAC um, and we can all share our clinical knowledge to hopefully progress the work uh, quicker and to have less overlap, which I think has happened previously in radiotherapy before with every centre, you know, doing their own research. So this amazing collaboration uh, and communication means that we get sort of more information. Um, and with the MRLINAC consortium, there were 86 sites that were members as of July, which I think is phenomenal to have that in place. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent example of international collaborative working. And like Becca said, it means that uh, it provides opportunity for us to disseminate and it facilitates the opportunity for departments to work together. Um, so rather than lots of different centres internationally working to solve the same problem. We work collectively to accelerate uh, progress for the benefit of patients. Um, and there are lots of examples of this. Um, uh, we meet once a year at a consortium event where uh, all sort of different sort of sorts of research trials are presented. Uh, we have examples where we've shared protocols for uh, treatment to pancreatic tumours. Again, these uh, treatments, our target coverage can sometimes be limited by, again, those organs that we want to protect that are abutting the area we, we are treating. And this can lead to sort of large variations between centres in protocols and practices, um, which could then translate to differences in patient outcomes. So it enables us to increase standardisation. Um, which we hope will be of benefit and in, in, of huge benefit in de developing these and beneficial treatments for this cohort of patients. 
Um, we had there are other examples uh, for MRNAC treatment for gynecological treatment boosts for patients who are uh, perhaps unsuitable to have brachytherapies. That's an internal type of uh, treatment. And again, we're working with other consortium members or and, and other hospitals from other countries where we sort of shared a protocol and we're working on that, which shares enables us to uh, share our experience and it saves uh, almost, again, a lot of time and resources by working together rather than individually and, and quicker implementation, again, for the benefit of patients. When we had Alison on the podcast, she was talking about the role of AI, um, which obviously AI is the term that everyone's talking about in radiography at the moment. How do you think AI is going to develop practice specifically for the MR LINAC? And do you envisage that there are any barriers to using AI? Um, I think AI is, there are already many projects, again, within the MRLINAC consortium looking into MI, MI, AI, <laughs> too many MRIs. Um, and these are all very interesting and all have the potential to, again, uh, help us reduce the our treatment times for our patients and uh, benefit our online workflow and one of these is contouring so we talked about how radiographers are taking over that role of uh, online target volume contouring for certain treatment sites specifically prostate at the moment uh, and there's the potential that uh, we will be able to get AI algorithms that actually do us do that for us. So we quite often get the question, why are we bothering to train radiographers when uh, we have AI on the horizon? And the answer is that we still need a workforce that is able to competently assess those AI contours. And... Um, and it goes the same for planning. So even if we are able to get um, AI developed that is able to uh, create or re-optimize a treatment plan better than our physicists can, we still need a competent workforce that is able to assess and check that. So as much as I think AI will significantly benefit the MR LINAC, it's not going to ever replace the need for humans to check and ensure the safety and accuracy of treatment for our patients. And AI, or at least not in the near future, will never have the whole picture. They also can't talk to a patient and console them and look after them. Oh, that well. That's why we're <laughs> never going to be out of a job. No offence to oncologists, they may lose some of their time, but we can't, we have to do it. They haven't got the time, so actually it's going to benefit them, isn't it? And I also think that a lot of people come in to be a therapeutic radiographer because of patient care, and actually the time you get to spend with patients is limited because of how many patients we're having to treat at the moment. So I definitely think AI has a has a role to play. Um, do you, within the MR consortium, do you then share data for the AI to develop? Is that something that happens? So everyone who has the software, do you routinely then share all the optimization plans so that the AI can learn? Uh, essentially, I'm not sure of a specific example, um, but what often happens is these projects will be presented at the MRNAC consortium or perhaps a paper will be published 
Um, or we also have our specific tumor site groups. So perhaps a particular project on AI will be discussed at one of these site groups and different centers may contact that person and get involved. So again, sort of escalating and um, accelerating the progress in that field internationally um, to, again, support the development of the MLNAC program. And this is also an opportunity to mention the momentum trial. So some consortium sites are partaking in this prospective international registry, which was established to facilitate the evidence-based implementation of the Unity MLNAC into clinical practice. And this multi-institutional study has been set up to collect clinical data and technical data for the benefit of research to advance the technical development of the MLNAC and to essentially facilitate a systematic evaluation of long-term patient outcomes with the ultimate purpose to improve tumour control, survival and quality of life for our patients. Brilliant. And in terms of kind of the internationalisation, do you benefit from that with having the MR LINAC consortium? It definitely is a great platform um, to have that communication sort of ready available and the information of who has an MR LINAC and, and who wants to collaborate and is keen rather than having to reach out or, or find that out yourself. Um, and you do have the support of Electa um, and Phillips at these events that can, you know, they know a lot, they've been there, they've seen who's got a machine so they can, you know, point you in the right direction and it is really good networking. <laughs> Becca, for anyone aspiring to be an MR LINAC therapeutic radiographer, what would you tell them they need to start looking at now? I think um, that's quite tricky because at the minute it's still sort of a, a post has to become available. You have to interview for it. So if that did come up, then having done some research um, about MRI and about our workflows, reading some of the papers we've published, um, I think would be a good start and show that you're enthusiastic. Um, and yeah, we've had people from other centres that are thinking of getting in the MR, Linac, like come and visit and spend time with us um, so we can go through how we developed our workflows and, and see the day to day and how it's run. So I think it, like with any interview, I guess it's just prepping and getting as much knowledge as you can beforehand and keeping enthusiastic about it. And as a group where you work, the amount of research that you put out as a group and how nurturing it is, it is amazing to see. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to come and work there. Yeah, it's uh, the Royal Marsden works, radiotherapy department as a whole works very hard uh, to implement uh, new developments and clinical trials and to share these, again, not just with the MR Linac Consortium, but with the wider radiotherapy uh, group, um, particularly, for example, ESTRO, um, there is lots, again, lots of research, but it's really great, particularly at the Royal Marsden, to see more radiographers working in research. And again, uh, name dropping Professor Helen McNair, who has really, really uh, made a massive impact in this field and not only encouraging uh, radiographers to be involved in research, but providing a platform uh, for them to do that and me being one of them. And it does have a huge implication for not only our profession, um, but again, 
our role in adaptive radiotherapy um, and for example the implementation here of radiographer online target volume contouring um, and the I think the extent of her research at the Royal Marsden and anyone doing research uh, in radiotherapy has the potential to have a huge impact. And I think sometimes as therapeutic radiographers, uh, we feel like we maybe don't have that platform or we are, are very busy, obviously, with our clinical work that we perhaps don't get the opportunity to be involved in research. Um, so I'd really encourage any therapeutic radiographers or any radiographers, healthcare professionals listening, to push to be involved in research because uh, this is... Change and innovation is what improves patient outcomes. Um, and that's essentially our ultimate goal. And if you don't know Helen McNair, look her up. <laughs> so, ladies, we are coming to the end of the podcast episode. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Um <laughs> The thing that we always end on for Rad Chat is top tips. So our audiences, patients, healthcare professionals, students, do you have any top tips that you would offer out to our audience? Of course. So the world of adaptive radiotherapy is developing very quickly. And this comes with a change in our role as therapeutic radiographers. And we've demonstrated this hopefully at the Royal Marsden by taking on the role of um, clinicians of target volume contouring for online treatments here at the Unity. And so my top tip to any students or healthcare professionals listening would be to strive to extend your scope of practice whether that's um, upskilling or again being involved in research and um, particularly again where I worked in Australia I would like to see a workforce of therapeutic radiographers in the UK uh, that takes on online adaptive treatment planning. Um, and for any patients listening there are some great resources available on the Royal Marsden website which provides lots of information on the different types of radiotherapy available, who might be eligible for treatment and there is some more specific information on the MR LINAC, which can be found on the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity website. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. It's been brilliant to talk to you about the MR LINAC and everything that you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jay McNamara, and Numan Joel Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we have discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the form linked with the podcast episode. Make sure that you check out all the wonderful social media posts that we have alongside these episodes. And thank you all for listening and take care. Mm-hmm.